Hey, good morning, church. How are you? Good, good. Glad you're here. Uh, it's getting warm, apparently, right? So uh, we, our, our house, maybe I shouldn't say this. I already started, so here we go. We put up a little above-ground pool. I'm not giving you my address. You can't come by and swim in it, but our kids are in it pretty much every day now. Um, hey, uh, I just wanted to give you um, kind of a follow-up update. So you've got a few emails. Yeah, hopefully you saw those, and it, I think it added to some confusion or some at least more questions. So um, I want to clarify. First, though, um, I, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm, a super, I'm a super proud dad this week. So I took my son, not because I did anything. I did do something great, but... Uh, I'll tell you that in a second. Um, uh, I took my son on his, uh, on his trip for his birthday and went to Silverwood and it was a great time. But while I was there, I got a text from my other son and this is what makes me so proud. He sends me this text and it's four pictures. Here's, here's one of them. And he says, this is what his text said. Check out those lines. He's mowing. He's, he's a lawn nerd. He's so into it. So he's mowing. That's our in-law's house. They just built that house. And so he's mowing their home. So he's like, check out what I did. Isn't that proud dad, right? Well done. So, so if you see him, uh, you can pay him to do yours, right? Now, here you go. Um, hey, so, uh, so I'm uh, the, our pastor parish, they're the, the, the body of, uh, of leadership that we have here at New Hope that kind of oversee the staff as well as myself. And, 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 uh, and so if you've been reading the, the emails, you know all this, but I'm just going to update you anyways. They've given me graciously July off. So I'll be off for the month of July. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that's like, oh, well done or like, get him out. Like, that, that, so, was, that was our reaction. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our he's like, he's like, like get yeah. Out of here. <laughs> um, so uh, that's great. Uh, and we're looking forward to that. We've got a few trips and some, uh, our kids are in camps and then we're doing a family vacation. And then next year, we're, uh, it, this, this is where some of the confusion came up. And so I think, I hope it's clarified. It, we, we sent another email yesterday. I sent one. So if you read that, hopefully it helped things out. I think a lot of us understood or thought that like my sabbatical is all next year, which, which here's what I realized, like, oh, we could actually do that. And, and a lot of you be okay with it. That would be awesome. A year? Uh, I would go nuts. But um, <clears throat> it's not all year. It's during next year. Um, and so uh, you, I, I got a, f a number of emails, really gracious emails from people, some who were like, so thankful we have at least five more months with you before you're gone. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what's happening at all. So um, uh, anyway, so that's, that's, it's next summer will be that sabbatical. So rest assured, I won't be gone for a year. Um, and then the other thing that has come up, and this is great, um, uh, we got a lot of concerns. Is everything okay? Is, is his health okay? Is, and then people were like, with even my wife, hey, is your marriage okay? <laughs> like, right. a year off. And like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't that at all. So um, this really is a good thing. It's a regular rhythm of ministry that we do here at New Hope that pastors get a sabbatical every seven years. Uh, mine will be after eight years, so I'm going to take a year off the next one, right. and it'll be that much sooner. So um, anyways, I I'm excited to, I'll be following along this next month in Daniel, and then I'll come back in August. I'll be back when we do the prophecy chapters where it gets like crazy, and, and I should have took that month off, actually, right. thinking yep. about it. Yep. Um, so um, that's it for me. This is Pastor Andy. I don't know if you know, if you know him. He's new here. Hi guys. 
You've been here you, you 20 years, 20 plus years, just, something like that, right? Keep, keep holding on. All right. Keep hanging well, on. Well, we're in chapter two, and I'm excited for this. Uh, you've even got some, well, I don't want to spoil it, yeah, but you've got some yeah. stuff. you got, got some great. Yeah. All right. Stuff. Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys, and uh, give it up for Pastor okay, Andy here. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Good deal. Well, it's exciting. It's always good to, uh, to be able to offer extended periods of time, especially for lead pastors, because they just shoulder a burden that uh, other of us don't. And so it's great for him just to unplug and, and to be off. The family needs it. Uh, it'll be good for them. So we're excited for them too. And, and the staff is ready for the challenge of the, uh, of the month and to tackle Daniel. So what's great, uh, I know I always appreciate this hearing different voices. So this summer, we're gonna hear some different voices. So I know Pastor Justin's gonna be next week. Pastor Brian's gonna do a couple. I'll do another one. So it'll be good. So I'm excited about it. And Daniel's fun. And, and, and so we're just gonna get into it because there's a lot to cover in Daniel. If you've been following along in kind of the reading guides that we had, or if you've been uh, using some of those extra materials, you know that there's just this, we're getting into it now. And we're getting into it. If you haven't, I encourage you uh, just to, to me, do the reading of the chapter ahead of time. That way, when we come, you're not hearing things for the first time, but rather we're able just to pick up where we left off and really uh, tackle some of these complicated, bigger um, issues. And so, hey, you know what? Let's just get into it, right? Let's just, let's just hop right in. We're going to Daniel 2, as we said before, and we're going to look at um, the first verse in chapter 2. Here we go. Follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. Uh, be great. Here we go. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and uh, astrologers. Some of your versions may say uh, Chaldeans there. Um, and to, to him, so uh, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. What it means. So what we have here is, is we picked up right where we left off with chapter one. Now the very end of chapter one, they mentioned, hey, and Daniel stayed here all the way through King Cyrus, which was way ahead of time. And then we just snapped right back to kind of after the story last week, which was, uh, you know, Daniel and his friends kind of standing up and choosing not to worship um, another God, but, but choosing to do things God ways. And Brandon unpacked the idea that what we worship controls our life. And we unpacked that. So now we come right after that, the, the uh, third year of Daniel's training, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar as king, but actually his third year, because the first year they count as the ascension year. So we have this year of ascension. So, so really he's only recognized as year two, really year three, but Daniel and the others have been trained for three full years and are kind of in that, this role uh, of the wise men. And so we got Nebuchadnezzar here, new to power, new to power, just three years in. I know it seems like a long time for an R presidential system because four years is, you know, you're done, but like these kings wanted to go for their whole life. So Nebuchadnezzar was really feeling like this was a pretty fresh new role for him. And he has these dreams and these dreams are, they're stressing him out and they're, they're worrying him, they're troubled dreams. And so what he does is he calls the wise men that he normally go to folks to come and explain these dreams to him. Let's keep going in verse four here and see what this dialogue goes like. Verse 40 says, then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. So take note, this is the first uh, time we, we come across uh, a different language. And we see the biggest stint in the Bible is from chapter 2 to chapter 7, all in Aramaic. Now, there's different reasons for this. Some just think it's because that was the vernacular at the time. That was what they spoke at the time, but kind of the scholars are divided. But at any rate, we're in Aramaic, but it's all English, right? Because we're just reading that. So here we go. Let's keep going. 
The, the king in Aramaic, so, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and its interpretations, then you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretations, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. What's interesting, that, that, that's rough. Like, that's a hard day of work, right? You come in like, hey, I had this dream. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're actually going to tell me what it is. And, and by the way, if you get it wrong, you're going to die. And like, pretty gruesome, torn limb for limb. Not, you know, it, it, it's pretty rough. So these guys, these guys show up. And, and what we're seeing here and what, and what we're kind of feeling is, uh, I think, two things. We're feeling uh, his, his, uh, the king's uneasiness with what the dream is. Stressing him out. Whatever this is. Whatever he's seeing makes him uncomfortable. But I think what we're also seeing is, is possibly a little bit of frustration with his wise men, the people that he's gathered, because they're supposed to let him know uh, what the, is, is going on. I, I think he's, he's sensing that maybe they have limitations. And maybe there's some, so, so he, he almost, it's almost like a testing for them to say, listen, if you guys are as good as you say you are, like, you're just going to tell me what it is because I know you can make up anything. And this thing is, this thing is, is so important to me. And I'm so worried about this, that, that you're going to tell me what this dream is. Now, now some scholars think that, that King forgot the dream. Some will even teach that, that he had forgotten it. So he, he needed them to tell him what it is. He just knew that it was, it was, um, uh, uneasy, made him feel uneasy, like that view, I, 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 don't, I don't subscribe to that view because there's, no, there's nothing in the, the, the text or the language that say he forgot more than just he was troubled. And so you actually see some ter- interpretation differences with the King James Bible interprets it in a way that leads you to believe that it's, it's uh, a forgetting of the dream. However, all other translations don't agree. So I, I tend to lean on the side of he didn't disagree. He was more just challenging his, his quote unquote wise men that were there but the end result is still the same. We have this battle that Brandon brought up last week about the natural versus the supernatural. It's a common theme that we find in Daniel. The natural is King Nebuchadnezzar is new to his throne, wants to keep what is his. He wants, so he has this desire to hold on to this, this newly found power that he's got. He's got a good gig. He doesn't want to lose it. And so we have him wanting to hold on to this thing and so he's like, I, I got to know what this thing is because it's, it's making me uneasy and, and, and I might lose what I have. Then we have the supernatural side of things, which is the, the, the wise men that I'm going to introduce in a second here, but they having um, these really bottom line demonic powers and, and you know, through, um, they're the ones that are trying to figure out what this is and can't, then Daniel will come on the scene as we'll see bringing uh, from powers from God and seeing then the supernatural battle that happens there too. So we see both of these things at play. Let's take a look at the wise men that the, this chapter just introduced. There's four classes of wise men, four classes that, that are mentioned here as we'll see. We have, we have magicians, we have enchanters, we have sorcerers, and we have Chaldeans, four distinct types of wise men that are mentioned in this chapter. He specifically calls all of them. They're not synonyms. They're different words. They're different roles. They're different types. Here's what they look like. The, the magicians of, of that time were more considered uh, 
scholars of their, of their sacred like Babylonian writings, which were pagan in nature, but these guys were experts with that, not magicians like we would have now pulling rabbits out of hats or whatever. Um, very different, very different. Uh, enchanters were also uh, considered sacred priests, so would dabble in, in demonic activities, would, would um, in, you know, interpret dreams based on um, different rules. They call like a, a epistemy was one of them where they would read um, the, intent, the, the animal intestines and somehow come up with a conclusion there. Very demonic uh, in nature for sure. Uh, sorcerers were, were the other ones that he called and they would do a lot of the, well, sorcery, of course, as you can infer from the name, but also the incantations and, and all of those, the, the kind of evil work that goes along with that kind of stuff. And then finally, the Chaldeans, who were the last ones he calls, where we call them kind of astrologers, or they were really the priestly sect of the Babylonian religion. So these were kind of, that's why you, you see the dialogue between the, the Chaldeans and Nebuchadnezzar, because they were kind of the top dogs and, and the, the go-to first. So they go to the Chaldeans, and, and, and he's saying, you need to tell me what this is. Well, here's the problem. All of these folks that, that were mentioned, all these classes are, I guess I would say their, their, their power is, re, is reactionary or at least it has been, right? They, they, they hear what the, what the king describes and then they go, oh, well, let me interpret that for you. The king knew this, right? That's the conversation. Uh, he will get, tell me what the dream is and, 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 and I'll, I'll interpret it. And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying, okay, you guys all have limitations. I, and, and they show up in this passage. All of their limitations are, are they have to know what they're dealing with before it's even brought up. And so Nebuchadnezzar almost lays out this challenge, doesn't almost, he does lay out this uh, harsh challenge to these, these men and really threatens a pretty heavy weight on their shoulders. Like, you guys got to figure this out or, or we're going to die or you're going to die. Now, all of this is, is stemming out of, I believe, Nebuchadnezzar's insecurity. Like I said, he's, he's afraid to lose what he has and he wants to hold on so tightly so tightly that he's, he's willing to sacrifice his whole, what was his advisory board across the kingdom. Being like, if you guys can't figure this out, you're all done. You're all just, I'm gonna kill y'all. He was that stressed out three years into this thing. And I, and I would say well, one thing we can take away from this is that your fear of losing what we cherish can lead to desperation. Fear of losing what, what we cherish can lead to desperation. And, and when we are in a desperate scenario, we, we go one of two directions. We go closer to God or we go further away from God. And, and, and it's not, um, it's, it, I'll tell you this, going away from God is not a wise decision. We don't wanna be in, in, in that place where we're desperate and, and going away from the Lord. We want to be, be pursuing him in this situation. Well, we, we, we come in to see Daniel enter the scene here. In, in verse two, uh, or in chapter two, uh, we, we find the, the king of the guard, or captain of the guard, Daniel finds out about what's going on, the edict that's going on, everyone's gonna die, including Daniel and his friends, because they're a part of, the, they're lumped into this crew uh, somehow. And so he's like, hold on, like everyone's gonna die. We, we need to do something about this. And he, and he approaches the, the king of the guard and says, hey, I, I, I can do this, I'll do this. Um, I'll, let me, give me an audience with the king. And then, and then we, we, we come in to see uh, in verse 17 here, 
You can, you can read it up on the screen. There it says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Remember them from last week? They were the ones that stood up with him uh, in, in defiance with the king, but in solidarity with the Lord and what God wanted. So he goes and reaches his companions and told them, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So Daniel went to his companions, went so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Here's what stands out about this, about this section to me. A couple things really stood out. One is that the first thing Daniel does is he, he, he prays, but he also prays with his friends. And the second is that uh, he actually is doing this one partial motivation is, you know, self, self-preservation, right? Him and his friends don't want to die, but also so that the rest of the wise men might not die or might not be killed. I find that kind of interesting because doesn't the vindictive side kind of say like, you know what, these guys are evil anyway, so, you know, you can kill them off. You can, you can rip them up, that's fine. You know, keep us, go to them. I mean, isn't there that side of you that's kind of like, yeah, that kind of would be uh, just, just to do that. But however, Daniel is doing this not just to save him and his friends, but also across the board. I just find that really interesting uh, that, that he would then make that a point strong enough to be putting in, in here. Anyway, kind of interesting. Uh, but the, the takeaway from here is Daniel was smart. He was trained. He was skilled. He'd had three years of training. He was, you know, best and brightest of, of the Babylonian or the uh, uh, exiles from, from Israel brought in. He, he was the best and the brightest, and he's faced with the situation, and he doesn't, he doesn't ponder. He doesn't study. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, get advice. Rather, he goes straight to God. He goes straight to God in prayer and he, and he brings his friends along and says, guys, we need, we need to get on our knees and pray. We, 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 we got, we're faced with a hard situation. Um, guys, let's pray. I mean, even we find in, in the book of James, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to them. Here's another, another point. When, when your intelligence, when your skill, your ability can't solve the problem, you need to pray. And you need to pray with others. But the call to pray is not just that. In fact, I, I, I would just say this, we just need to pray, right? Not just that our skill is lacking, although it is. You and I need to be pursuing God in prayer. I, I, I ask, is there something right now that you're facing? Is there a hardship that you're facing? Is there a stress? Is there something in your life that, that, that is just eating at you or that you're facing this insurmountable mountain but you have not yet gone in prayer to, about? Like, you need to pray. In fact, when I read this, I was, so, I was so taken aback that I don't pursue other people enough to bring into my prayer life. And, and I don't think I'm alone. I think maybe it's a tendency, sometimes we tend to kind of silo up a little bit. Um, you know, in, in our prayer time is just, you know, kind of us by ourselves. But I want to encourage you, I, I was challenged to bring others along when you're facing a hard challenge in prayer. There's power in, in multiple people seeking God in unity, in concert, for the same purpose. And we see in this situation, in, the, in Daniel, we see the, the Daniel going to his, his brothers in Christ, his, 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 you know, godly, the godly trio that he brings along with him are with him in solidarity to interpret this dream and like, because it's only gonna come from God. He doesn't know what it is. He, doesn't, he, he hasn't even heard a hint of what this might possibly be. He's just saying there's a dream that needs to be interpreted and if it can't be done, 
there are a lot of people are going to die. Right or wrong, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. And so Daniel prays. God answers his prayer. And, and if, you, if you want a, a, some great reading this week, go, go back and read um, Daniel's praise for hearing or for, or for um, when God answered his prayer. He's got a beautiful prayer in there where he, he acknowledges God's greatness, acknowledges uh, once the Lord answers his prayer for him. It's, it's, it's really a, a touching passage. I want to encourage you, go back and read that verses 20 through 23. But, uh, you know, there's, this is a big chapter. So if we went and read all of it, it's all good. But if we just read all of it, we wouldn't really have time to kind of chew on it a little bit. So we're going to keep going. So Daniel gets the interpretation of the dream. God gives it to him. So he's then coming back to the king with this dream in his mind, he knows what it is. He knows what it means. And so he goes back to the king. Now think about that. So you, he's, he's hearing this thing. And he's like, okay, we're going. And he, and he goes knowing what is going to be told to the king. It's, it, it might be a stressful situation. I think it definitely is a stressful situation. Um, let's pick up in verse 31, shall we? Daniel's standing before the king, face to face. Here's what he says. He says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head was an image, was an image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out, of, out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke it to pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that was struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So you, got the, you can kind of see possibly why this was a disturbing dream. If you're, if, if, if you're the king and you're, you're, you're remembering this dream, and, he, and we, we have no reason to believe he, he wasn't, he remembered this dream thinking, okay, so, so, so it's a big thing, big statue, it's got all sorts of you know, precious silvers from top to bottom, it's you know, increasingly valuable to, to possibly decreasingly valuable, but, but then it all gets destroyed and it's all just gone, and whatever this other thing, rock mountain thing was, grows up and goes big, and he's just saying, I don't know what this means, I just hope that I don't get destroyed, right? He's just thinking, like, what, is, what, what am I? Where am I? Who am I? What part of this uh, do I play? And so we're, we're, we're gonna kind of unpack this thing, and we're gonna, we're gonna um, I got some, some slides we can follow along with. I actually, um, you know, the internet's amazing. For, for it's, it's terrible, it's terrible, but it's amazing all at the same time, right? Um, I was able to find a, a, a statue, kind of action figure, of the, uh, of, you know, the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, with a rock also. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go get an action figure. It was kind of fun, <laughs> right? Like, don't think Nebuchadnezzar thought that was going to happen. You know, <laughs> thousands of years later, they're going to be selling, like, pictures of his dream. He was, I probably would have terrified him. But, you know, I just, I just couldn't pass it up. But, hey, if you can't see that, we got some on the screen. So let's, let's, let's go ahead and look. This is just a depiction. They don't know exactly what, what it looks like. But we have, we have a picture of this. And we're going to kind of um, take on what individually 
these uh, individual things were. So we see, we see the picture here, and you see kind of the, you know, the, the, the gold and the silver, uh, the bronze and the iron. And so we got the head of gold, we got the chest and arms of silver. We see that we got the, the belly and the thighs of, of bronze, and we got the legs um, of iron, and then the bottom there, you got the, the clay, feet of clay and um, clay and, and, and iron as well. So let's kind of like unpack what these things uh, mean. So here's, here's kind of the interpretation of, of, of what this is, and we'll kind of we'll go through this as well. So that'll be up on your screen as well. But the head of gold, he actually, what's interesting about this dream is it actually explains it in Daniel, most of it. So we actually are able to interpret it mostly from the book of Daniel. So the head of gold here we, we know is, is the Babylonian, uh, Babylon as the first world empire. And in fact, even in you know, verse 28, he says, uh, you know, that you are the head of gold. And so the, the, the head of gold is, represents Nebuchadnezzar. So he's probably pretty happy once he heard that, like, oh, great, awesome. I'm the head guy and I'm, you know, gold and that's good and all that kind of stuff. And so we see that that's, that's, that's where he is. And it's actually, you know, it's, it's explained in this very chapter, what that means. We also then go to the next part of the statue, which is the chest and uh, the arms of silver. And this is the kind of the Medo-Persian um, empire that it would end up defeating, that would end up defeating Babylon and establish the second world empire. So we actually uh, read about that the Daniel last week was not, was there when King Cyrus was there. So somebody different was there. And we actually read about it in uh, Daniel 8, this this happening. So, so okay, we know that, that that took place, and that's pretty definitive what that means. Next part we have is the belly, and the, the, the belly and the thighs of bronze. And this is where we read about the uh, Greece defeating the Persians. Alexander the Great, right, we, we, we've heard of him, defeats, defeats the Persians. That's actually explained, too, in, in Daniel 8.21. I don't want to go too far into those because we're going to be spending a whole morning on those, so you can absolutely reference those if you want. But now we're going to get into a little bit of the, uh, there's some d- disagreement on what these things are. And, 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 and remember that there is a danger in trying to figure out these kind of prophecy things. Sometimes, you know, you, you miss the, uh, you kind of miss the main point by focusing on si- kind of some of the little things. But here's what we know about the, the legs of iron. The legs, we got, we got the, the legs of iron. Um, we know that, that after that, we, the Rome uh, defeated Greece as the next world power. And that's when Jesus came. That's, that's what was obviously the major world power was in fact um, Rome. And so, but we actually don't read this in the book of Daniel. So this is, this had to have been, when he's writing it, just something that, that didn't even necessarily know that this was like a Roman thing. However, it, it was, it was looking back on it now, most scholars believe that that was it, but not all scholars believe. There still is some debate on what these things are. Uh, but we look then at uh, the, the, the feet then I think we'll go to the next one. This is, this is where we really get, things really get tricky. You know, my, my kids went, we went camping this weekend. It's a lot like what my kids' feet look like every, <laughs> at the end of each day. I don't know if any of you guys can relate, but that's pretty much what they looked at. When there's more iron and clay, it was more just mud and dirt and grossness. But uh, so here's, here's, here's where we run into some, some issues here. And I say issues just meaning there's debate on this. Now, most, most scholars believe that the, the clay uh, and this, this symbolism represents a healed Roman Empire. In other words, the Roman Empire, uh, you know, got taken over and ended, but then in the future, so even beyond us right now, that some point, some empire will rise in, from that area 
And, and that's, that's who this is referring to. So this is what they think. Now, they, they believe that partly because the clay and, and the iron represent, as you can see up there, the clay represents traditionally when looking at uh, you know, some of the, the old writings, clay will represent uh, religion, and, and particularly kind of a false religion. Uh, it has some, some strength, but, but it, is, it, it falls apart. The iron represents political power. And so when you mix these, these two together, you're going to have a, uh, a kingdom coming up is what some scholars think that is a mix, uh, has a mix intertwining of the religious with the political. Now, here's why I say this gets dangerous, because, because I've, I've heard people, if anyone comes with a very definitive argument, oh, it is this, it is the Roman Catholic Church, or it is this, or it is this, uh, we can point out just as many scholars who, who would push back on that. Because we don't, we, don't, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know for sure. We can, we can make guesses, and we can, we can you know, spend our time doing this, but, but what, is, what is the point of the dream? The point of his dream is not to tell you and I exactly what the future is going to hold, because what does it change? What does it change? What, let's just say I have the exact answer to this thing, so this is exactly what it's going to be, we're in the end times right now. Do I have a greater responsibility to God than I would otherwise? And I would say no. I do not have, I, I should have an urgency. I should have a passion in me to be sharing the love of Jesus with others. I should be having a, like, like a passion to be loving my neighbor just the same way. And so the responsibility is not necessarily greater or, or less. And in fact, I would even say that the point of this dream is not so that you and I can spend our time on this, but that we can spend our time on what's next. And what's next is we read about the stone that, that comes out of the mountain, that comes and smashes the whole thing. We read that, the, and then the stone, as my uh, toy action figure would say, is Jesus. <laughs> That's not how we know, by the way because the action figure. But we know that stone is, it represents Jesus, it represents God's kingdom. So all of these precious metals, all of these expensive things, all of these uh, ornate uh, statues and carvings and, and all of this, these frightening images that they talk about, all of this is destroyed by something that comes out of, of a mountain, something that just comes out of the ground that's not, def it's not defined into some beautiful thing. It's just a rock that comes, smashes the feet. It says this, smashes the feet of this statue and it, and it takes it all down. I'm gonna read verses 41 and 42 for you. They say, and this is Daniel saying, and as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be, divide, it shall be a, a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness uh, of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay and the toes uh, with the feet, Partly of iron, so the kingdom shall be partly strong. Now, here's where he gets to the to the, the the kind of the point of all this. It says this in verse 44: In the days of those kings and God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king, lowercase k, to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. 
Now, now uh, uh, just to kind of give like the, the, the word picture of here when, when Daniel describes kind of the threshing floor uh, and you know, the, the kingdoms will be um, at, an, at an end, I want to I just kind of give, give, show you some pictures of what the idea of chaff and what the idea of the threshing floor like, like looks like. I got some pictures here that I want, that I want to show. If you've heard this process of kind of separating the wheat, you know, for the, the good from the bad with the wheat, and you can see there these, they, they have a just big pile of wheat, and they're taking this kind of a pitchfork-looking thing, and they're just tossing in the air this, this stuff over and over and over. And as the wind blows, and as the, the, the pieces are kind of jostled, the, the bad, the chaff just, just gets blown away. The wind just takes it, and you're left with the, with the good comes down. So we see this illustration a lot uh, in, in the Bible. And what, what we have here is, um, no, keep, keep going, to the, going to the next one. What we have here is the big pile of, like, like that, that's what's left. That's, what's, that, that's, that's, that's the bad. And in fact, let's look at what one of these floors looks like, modern day uh, area. It's, it, it's that. Now, now, this is what is described in his dream. This is what all these kingdoms are going to look like. They're going to look just like this desolate nothingness right here. Now, that's kind of actually a beautiful setting, right? But not if you're the king of Babylon and are in control of, you know, the known world at the time. This is nothing. And so, and so what's interesting is as wonderful as humanity made things in their own eyes, as grand, as, as expansive, as, as shiny, as, as functional, as powerful, as like wonderful and grand as it may seem, that is what it's, gonna, it's compared to. Just a pile of, of, of nothingness. Because, because the stone that came from the mountain, like Jesus Christ, his kingdom was set up and all the other kingdoms will come and go. They, will all, they, 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 will, they might look good for a time, but, but they're nothing compared to God's kingdom and to the kingdom of God. They are, they are, uh, they are lacking with the power and the lasting ability. So when we, when we and after we read this, you know, the, the king says, bow, bows down and gives, pays homage to Daniel and gives him all this stuff because he not only told him what the dream was, but he interpreted it. Now here's what's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't seem to care that this, all this stuff is gonna go to dust. He's just like, hold on, so I'm the head of gold? Awesome, great, it's great, love it, right? I mean, what, he's like, that's what he heard? And he's like, great, I'm in, it's great. I mean, what, do you, I mean, do you not see like everything, you know, being destroyed? Did you not catch that part of it? But it just shows kind of how, he, he, he just, am I gonna be able to hold on to what's mine? Great, great. That's not going to last. So what do we do with a passage like this? You know, what do we do? What, what do we do with something like this? Um, I know it's exciting to, to get into the interpretation, the apocalyptic, you know, uh, implications of it. It's, it's exciting to look into like, oh man, it's gonna be this and it's gonna be this and I saw that this just happened this week. So hey, let's, we're all, it's soon, it's soon. You know, I mean, we, we, like, we kind of get that, that anxi- a little bit of anxiety, right? But I don't, it's, this passage doesn't exist so you and I can sit there and, and try and figure out what's, what, what, what time this is gonna happen, all that kind of stuff. The point of it is to, is to look at Jesus Christ coming and establishing his kingdom and nothing the enemy can do can change it. He cannot, he, he cannot destroy it. He cannot outlast it. Like God's kingdom is bigger than anything else that is out there. It's more important than anything else. It is more powerful than anything else. And that's what we take away from this. 
As, as I look at the world today, maybe it's because we have so much more access to, to news and pictures and videos and stuff, but like, I, I mean, I, I see division, I see hurt, I see disease, I see unrest, I see pain. I, I just, I, I see so much negative out there that I, I ask myself, like, God, where are you in all this? I mean, wasn't Daniel asking the same thing? Like, wasn't he like looking around saying, God, where, where are you in all this? Like, I'm taken from my homeland out of no fault of my own, and I'm here serving this king who is just kind of like crazy and erratic and super insecure. Like, like why, where are you, God? And, and we, we, we see, we're reminded in this that God is greater than anything else. God's kingdom is greater. I got to just take this guy down because he's not, he's, he, he gets destroyed anyway. I'll leave the rock up here. It's disturbing having that thing right there. I'm going to burn it afterwards, right? <laughs> but God, God's kingdom is that, and, so we, and we have to devote ourselves to that. That's, that's the point of this, is that we want to devote ourselves to what lasts, that which lasts, that which was most important. That's what I want to put my time to. If I knew that something was going you know, to be destroyed or was, or was failing, I, I wouldn't devote myself to that thing. And so God's giving us this passage as a gift to say, well, this is, his kingdom is coming and it's gonna be big and it's gonna outlast anything else. And so, so you and I need to, you and I need to devote ourselves to that. Through this scenario, what's kind of, what's kind of neat is uh, Daniel was able to, the only thing he asked for, from you know, interpreting this dream was just that he gave his buddies, uh, his, his three you know, uh, prayer partners slash you know, guys that stood up with him, Shadrach and Bendigo, gave them influential positions. So, so now through this situation, you have Daniel's been promoted. Three, three other godly men have been put in positions of power. Maybe just possibly they can reach more people through that. Right? Instead of focusing on all the negative things that are happening, they're actually working within this system to share the love of Jesus around. And I think... I think maybe our, our, our system, maybe this area we think is, is, is failing and, and they're inst- implementing this bad thing and that bad thing, but just maybe God wants to use you in this bad situation to share his love with somebody. Maybe, maybe he has that plan. And I would say 100% he has that plan. <laughs> You're here. You're here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. He wants to use you regardless of what's around us, regardless of what political whatever is around us, he still wants to use you. He's not done. God didn't stop working. He's still working and he still wants to use us. So here's kind of my final, my, my final point is this, that, that make Jesus your king because God's kingdom will never fail, right? We're gonna, we're gonna go into a time where we are gonna acknowledge Jesus as king. We're gonna go into a time of communion and, and the, the, the worship team is going to come out and, and, and we're going to, this is, this is exciting, the things to get excited about. We have new uh, communion things, right? Just when you got to figure out the old ones. Um, so if you, they're two-sided and they're a lot easier to use. So just so you know, there's, there's you know, one on the other side. If you don't have one, there's there some more available. The ushers can, can um, get them to you. But we're going to go to a time of communion. And, and with communion, what, what we do, what communion is, is a recognition that, that Jesus is king, that his sacrifice for you and I was so that we can be forgiven. I'm going to read you a passage. Um, we're going we're gonna to sing a worship song, and Pastor Brandon's going to come out and lead you in a time where you're going to take of the elements. So just um, let's, let's just l- listen to, the, um, to this verse. I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll pray, and, and the worship team will lead us into a, a time of worship. Um, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're proclaiming Jesus is king when we, when we take up this and we sing these songs, not to, not to a God that's gonna fade away or a God that's not listening. We're gonna sing these songs to a God who hears us and a God who's worthy of these praise. So I'm gonna pray um, and then we're gonna go in time and worship. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, we acknowledge you this morning as, um, as king. Lord, you are, you are the foundation, you are the rock, you are, you are the one that outlasts all others, the only one worthy of our praise. Then as Daniel acknowledged to Nebuchadnezzar back then, Lord, that you, that you are the king of kings and that you outlast any other kingdom, Lord, we acknowledge this morning that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we acknowledge your sacrifice that your son made this morning. God, may you be uh, pleased with our prayers and with the time where we remember Jesus' body and his blood that was broken for us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing this last worship song?